Our scripture today is from Proverbs, 22nd chapter. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. The clever see danger and hide, but the simple go on and suffer for it. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse. The cautious will keep far from them. Train children in the right way, and when old, they will not stray. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So the the day that my son has been dreading for three months is coming. Tuesday, our youngsters here in Stafford County return to school. The parents let out a great, a great call of a rejoice and, and the children are sad. Uh, but as, as we, as we begin this new year, because we talked about last week that for many of us, the, the year begins not January 1st, right? The year begins for us on September 4th, uh, the day we go back to school together. And, and so I wanted to talk a little bit with you this morning about, as our young people are returning to school, I wanted to talk about wisdom. And in the Bible, there's a corpus of, of literature, a genre of, of literature within scripture called the wisdom literature. And one of the books in the wisdom literature is the book of Proverbs, from which Miss Marlene Lawson read to us just a moment ago. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says this. Raise up a child in the way they should go, and when they grow, they won't depart from it. What does that mean? It means if we raise our children well, they're going to make good choices. Here's my question. Is that true? We have all experienced that. We've all seen it. We've seen parents who invest in their their young ones and love them and and earnestly discipline them in the right way. And the child grows up and chooses a beautiful path. We've seen that, yes? But we have also seen parents who love their children, discipline them well, encourage them along the way. And those children elect to choose a path that could be destructive for them as well. You've seen that too, right? And so if the question before us is, is it true that if we raise up our child, children in the way they should go, when they grow, they won't depart from it, is that true? The most authentic and honest answer would be, it is true sometimes, right? Would you agree? Yes? Now, before you get up and walk out and say, the pastor just said sometimes the Bible isn't true, hold on for a second, because I think I think we need to understand the broader perspective of the wisdom literature. Uh The book of Proverbs was largely written by a man named Solomon. Does anybody remember what Solomon's occupation was, what he did for a living? He was a king. You heard the adage, it's good to be king? Yeah. Solomon Solomon lived in a world that was filled with justice. You know why? Because he was the arbiter of justice. It's good to be king. Solomon had a just world perspective. He saw the world around him through the lens of it being a just world world because he was the one who determined what was right and wrong in his society. He had virtually absolute power. A just world theory, a just world view says that if you do what you are supposed to do, good stuff's going to happen. Conversely, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, 
bad stuff is going to happen. That's how Solomon saw the world. That's one of the perspectives in the wisdom literature. Another book in the wisdom literature is the book of Job. Do you think that Job would say that the world was a just place? No. No. Job, Job's story is a fascinating story. The book of Job opens with this guy walking into the throne room of God and asking God, Hey, uh, what about your servant Job? And God says, Oh, he's great, isn't he? And the guy says, Well, I don't know that he's really that great. Why don't you let me test him? There are a lot of theologians who believe that portions of Job are among the oldest portions of Scripture ever written. And in the earliest foundations of Hebrew theology, what we find is that Yahweh, the Lord, sat at the head of a divine council of other lesser deities. We might think of them as angels. And every angel around the table had their respective responsibilities. There was a guy who was in charge of communications, Gideon. And somebody who was kind of the executive director, that was Michael. And then there was this guy whose job it was to be the prosecuting attorney. It was his job to bring accusation against other people. In fact, Hebrew literature calls him the accuser. The direct translation is Hasatan, Satan. Satan walks into God's throne room and says, what do you think about this guy, Job? And God says, he's great. And Satan says, I don't know. It's pretty easy to be faithful when life is easy. Let me test him. And so the accuser begins to bring accusation and test. And Job loses everything in an instant. He loses his family. He loses his wealth. He loses everything except except his wife. And as we've discussed once before, I'm not certain that that was a wonderful gift for him to keep in hand. Because at one point she walks up to him in the midst of this distress and she says to him, Job, I think you should just curse God and die which isn't exactly the kind of support you're looking for in a marital relationship, right? Job would say that the world was not a just place because he did the things he was supposed to do and he suffered greatly. So, so far in the wisdom literature, we've got two different perspectives. Solomon says the world is just. Job says, no, it isn't. And then there is a third book in the wisdom literature. It is the book of Ecclesiastes. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Ecclesiastes. It's absolutely one of my favorite books in the Bible. But here's the thing. The book of Ecclesiastes can make your head spin. There's there's this most famous passage in Ecclesiastes. comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. To everything there is a season, a purpose under heaven. Most of us know it because there's a pretty jazzy song written about it a number of years ago, right? There's a time to be born and a time to die. But if you kept reading in that chapter, you get to the end of that chapter... And the the chapter concludes by the author of Ecclesiastes, a guy named Koheleth, or the teacher, saying, eh, vanity of vanities, everything's vanity anyway. It's as if the author of Ecclesiastes starts the chapter by saying everything has its place and ends the chapter by saying none of it matters. It reminds me of being in my freshman philosophy class in college. I don't know if you ever had one of these experiences, but the first few course, first few days of class, I thought to myself, yeah, I get this. I understand it. And then the professor started talking about other stuff, and I thought to myself, I'm never, ever going to understand any of this. That's kind of what Ecclesiastes makes us feel like. Ecclesiastes is that perspective that says that the world is such a complicated place that we couldn't even begin to hazard a guess as to whether it is just or unjust. And so when we put all three books of the wisdom literature together, we have one worldview that says the world is just. We have one worldview that says the world is unjust. 
And we have a third worldview that says the world is so messed up you're never going to try and make sense of it. So here's the underlying question. If those are the three books of the wisdom literature in the Bible, what does it mean to be wise? In order to be wise, do I have to inhabit a just world perspective like Solomon? No. An unjust world like Job? Not necessarily. Wisdom isn't about the perspective that we hold, nor is wisdom about memorizing a bunch of pithy sayings from the book of Proverbs. Here's the underlying piece. Here's the big takeaway from this conversation so far. If I find myself in a scenario in my life where things are just going my way, where I'm working hard and it's paying off, and the little bluebirds fly around my head and I hear a song all the time, praise the Lord, if my world is just, I can read the book of Proverbs and it will escort me into the throne room of God. But that's not the way life always works. There are some days in our lives where things are unjust, some seasons, some years, where we do what we're supposed to do and things are hard anyway. In those unjust moments, we can read the book of Job and it will take us into the throne room of God. There are some times that we experience life in such a way that we can't imagine which way is up. And in those confusing moments when we can't hazard a guess as to what is just or unjust, in that moment we can read the book of Ecclesiastes and it will take us into the throne room of God. And here's the point. Wisdom, true wisdom, is not about inhabiting a particular worldview or memorizing pithy sayings. True wisdom is taking captive every single scenario and situation in our lives and bringing it into conversation with Almighty God. And when we do that... We are wise. And that is what the wisdom literature of the scripture teaches us. No matter what scenario we find ourselves in, no matter what is coming down the road, just unjust or crazy messed up, if we bring it into conversation with God, we are wise. That is the wisdom of the wisdom literature. So what in the world does this have to do with going back to school? Well, let me talk to parents for just a moment. Don't you think that in the same way that sometimes life is just and sometimes it's unjust and sometimes it just doesn't make any sense, don't you think that parenting feels the same way? Sometimes we do the things we're supposed to do and it just works out. Like, for example, if you're ever in a big group of people with me and my children, at some point you very likely will see me get one of their attentions and, and do this to them. I love you. Now, my kids have picked up on this, and they've started doing it back to me. I love you, which I thought was sweet until a couple weeks ago. When my brilliant little boy, I looked at him and I said, I love you. He looked back at me and said, I love you. And then he made this symbol right here. infinity and beyond. I love you, infinity and beyond. And I thought to myself, well, I've done it. I'm, I'm clearly the best parent there's ever been. My, my kids love me to infinity and beyond, right? 
There are some days that are like that when it just lines up and, you know, we could write a book on parenting. Then there are other days when you've got the four-year-old girl and you put the, you put the ponytail in her hair the same way you put the ponytail in her hair for the last four years. And she turns in tears and says, Daddy, it's not right. That's not just, church. (laughs) And then there are other times, right? There are other times where life is just, it's confusing as a parent. In fact, if we're honest with each other, wouldn't you agree that half the time we're making up the rules as we go along? Do you feel that way about being a parent? Because I do. I do. Thank you, those of you who are honest. And the rest of you, you know, just sit there for a minute. I'll be done. But there are times, and here's my thing. I've been in pastoral ministry for over 10 years, and I think what is true of babies is also true of teenagers, and here's what I mean. You establish a routine with these people. You make sure they're fed. You make sure they're dry. You make sure they've had some sleep. And generally, babies and teenagers will be happy. Until the day comes. When you make sure they're fed and make sure they're dry and make sure they've had some sleep and all of a sudden they are now discontent. And you can't figure out why. What you did yesterday was okay, but what you're doing today isn't okay despite the fact it's exactly the same thing you did yesterday. And your teenagers or your babies are all of a sudden telling you, no, no, that's not right. It doesn't make sense. There are times in our parenting lives... When the world is just. There are times when the world seems unjust. And there are a lot of times when it comes to parenting. that It just doesn't make any sense. But the same truth that holds in life holds true in parenting. And it's this. The single most important gift we can give to our young people is teaching them the skill of taking every single situation in their lives and bringing it into conversation with God. If we teach our young people to do that, we'll prepare them for anything that comes down the road. And you might be saying to yourself, oh, that's a novel idea, Pastor. Why don't we connect our children to Jesus? Great. How do we do that? Well, there is one tool that stands head and shoulders above all other tools. It's the Bible. So uh, today, after worship, I want to invite you to go into the gym. It has been transformed into a, a virtual life cycle of human existence, starting at infancy on the back left corner and then going all the way around to adulthood. And at every section, every stage, we have got some gifts for children and parents alike. I want to show you what we have. Uh, so if your child is from infancy all the way up to preschool, we've got this, my first hands-on Bible. And it's actually a story Bible. So reading children's stories from the Bible itself when they're three and four sometimes isn't going to hold, hold their attention. Uh, I'm, I'm 40 and sometimes it doesn't always hold my attention, right? So these story Bibles are designed to help us share the stories of the Bible with the youngest ones in our lives. By the way, you're also going to get this little bookmark. On one side, it's got a prayer to pray before the scripture reading. And on the other side, it asks three questions. The first question is this, 
How would I summarize the passage in my own words? Because it's not just about reading the Bible. We want to help our young people understand what's taking place. And the best way to do that is to help them summarize what they heard. The second question is, what does this passage teach me about God? And the third question is, how will I apply what I learned? If we ask those three questions every time we open the Bible, we've just had a really good session of Bible study. I can promise you that. So every single child who goes into the gym today and goes up to one of their stations uh, associated with their age group who is in preschool or below will get one of these Bibles for free. And then once kids get school age, we've got this hands-on Bible for them. Uh, again, it's a gift to them. It's it's free. Just go go in there. You'll see what age demographic you need to go to. For your child, there are big banners up on the wall. Go to where your child's age is, and we'll give them a Bible. This is actually a real Bible, but it is, it's designed to have different resources in it that parents can use to have conversations about the Bible with their, with their children. And the idea is that all of our kids are going to start bringing the same kind of Bibles with them to their Sunday school classes. So teachers and students alike are playing from the same book. And then once our students get into sixth grade, sixth grade all the way through high school, we have this life application study Bible that we're giving to all of them, every single one of them. And the idea is that when they come together for study at Access and TNT, that they're all going to be reading the same books in large group and in small groups, same books that their, their teachers and leaders are reading, that all of them will be using the same, the same resource. But that's, that's not all. Um, we also are going to give to every family who comes in there this, this thing. It's a, this is a timeline that walks us through the different phases of young people's lives and helps us to understand a little bit about what we should expect to be coming our way. And on the back of this timeline, there's a, a scripture reading plan for you to use with your children that will take you through the end of this year. At the end of the year, we'll give you a year-long plan for all of 2019. We're going to put that in your hands as well, but that's not all. I feel like Oprah up here, by the way. <laughs> you get a Bible, and you get a Bible, and you get a Bible, right? Uh, this is... I love that we're putting Bibles in people's hands. Parents, listen to this one, though. These are these are trifolds. Um, and I picked up the one for four years old and first graders because I have a four year old and a first grader. I just, I want to read you what the front of this trifold tells me about my four year old. It says, it says the phase when anything can be imagined, everything can be a game, and one pre- curious preschooler wants to know why. The number of sentences in my house that start with the word why are innumerable. The second one is for first grader, the phase when unfiltered, unfiltered words make you laugh, school drop-off makes you cry, and life becomes a stage where your kid shouts, look at me! That's my first grader. And brothers and sisters, here's the thing, we open it up, there's all kinds of information in this trifold about what your child is going to be experiencing over the course of this school year so that those moments when we live in utter confusion can begin to be minimized and we can understand a little bit more about what is coming. One other note about these things that we're giving away to families is that uh, in addition to trifolds, uh, this same company makes a 45-page booklet that accompanies every stage of life 
from infancy all the way up through being a senior in high school. And there's a second tear-off section on your bulletin today. If you'll register uh, that and put the names of your children on there, and when you go into the gym, drop it off in one of the boxes, we're going to do a drawing to give away an entire set of those 45-page books that help us understand what uh, stages our children are going through throughout the course of their lives. But even that is not all. We wanted to buy Bibles for everybody, um, but didn't think that we should spend that, that much. Uh, so, we have, have a couple Bibles here, and before I tell you about this, here's what I want you to know. The best Bible in the world is the one you will read, okay? That's the best translation of the Bible in the world, is the one that you actually pick up and read. That being said... We have these two really cool Bibles. This is called the Wesley Study Bible, and it's it's a fantastic devotional study Bible from the Wesleyan perspective, which is the under, theological undergirding that unites us as, as United Methodist churches. So that's that's for sale in uh, in the gym. And then we also have this Harper Collins Study Bible, which if you went to seminary, this is the book. This is the one. This is the one you would you would buy. Um, and if you got, went online to try and order these, they cost you over forty dollars a piece. Today we're we're selling them to anybody who might be interested for twenty dollars uh, that you can get them. I am told we ordered fifty of each kind to sell. I'm told we're almost out of them. Uh, so we've started taking names for people who would like them, and we'll do our best to have them here for you next week if you would like one of these. Here's where I want to get to. Okay. I love the idea that every child who walks out of here today is going to walk out with a Bible. Because it's the single greatest tool to connect them to God who loves them desperately. I love that idea. But if we just gave kids a Bible and said good luck, or for that matter, if we just gave 40, 50, 60 year olds Bibles and said good luck, we wouldn't be doing anybody any good. So over the course of these next few weeks in worship, we're going to enter into a series called Bible 101. Did you know, for example, that the Hebrew Bible, the Bible used by our Jewish brothers and sisters, and our Old Testament have virtually identical books in them, but they're arranged differently. And there's a reason why that's the case. Did you know that there were a number of books that were candidates to be included in the New Testament, and yet the framers of the New Testament in the middle of the 4th century decided that only 27 actually would make the cut? Why is that? Dan Brown has one theory that's not true, and I'm going to tell you why that actually is is true, what, why it happened that way. So, But we're not just going to talk about why the books of the Bible are the books of the Bible and why they're ordered the way they are. Most importantly, over the course of the next several weeks, we're going to learn how to use these things. My brothers and sisters, there is an opportunity for us to live lives that are blessed with wisdom. But it doesn't happen because we inhabit a worldview or even just show up to worship. It doesn't happen because we memorize a couple passages from the Bible. True wisdom is about capturing every single scenario in our lives and ushering it into the throne room of God. And that is what the Scripture prepares us to do. So I want to say to those of you who are preparing like I am with my family to jump off the cliff of the 2018-2019 school year, Ebenezer Church loves you, and we want to be here to support you every step along your journey. I want to say to those who are teachers, God bless you for your amazing work in this world. I want to say to the parents here, we're going to have your backs. 
we're going to do this together. We're going to do it founded on God's word. And we're going to have the best school year ever as we raise up the next generation of young people, not simply with one worldview or another, but who bring every scenario and situation in their lives into conversation with God. And therefore, we are going to raise children who are filled with wisdom. Would you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, we give you thanks for the gift of wisdom in this world. We give you thanks for the stories written, the the sayings that are contained. We give you thanks for the gift of Scripture. And for the opportunity to bring every single situation in our lives into conversation with you. Now today we, we pray for those who are beginning this new school year. We ask that you bless them. We pray for our children. We pray your hedge of protection around them as we send them out from our homes and as they come back again, we pray that you would protect our treasures, O oh God. We pray not only for our students, but also for our parents. Give us wisdom as we raise up the next generation of citizens, both of the earth and of your kingdom. God, I pray for our teachers and all those who are part of the administration and the work of the school system, but not only for, for those who work in, in the school system, also for the Access and TNT leaders and the Kids Rock volunteers and the Sunday school teachers, all of those who participate in the activity of raising these young people up. We ask your blessing on them. God, in the end, may all of us bring every scenario in our lives into conversation with you. May all of us find true wisdom. We pray these things in the name and to the glory of Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, Amen.